We now come to the time in our service where we uh, are at our sermon passage. So we're continuing on in the Psalms of Ascent, which we've been in this summer, and we have worked our way to Psalm 128. So I invite you to stand, and not stand, don't stand. I mean, you can if you want to, but um, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 128. It's printed for you in your bulletin if you want to read it there as well. And I remember before we begin, I've said this a number of times, I think in every sermon, the Psalms of Ascent are kind of like this songbook, this playlist in the middle of the Bible. It's a, songs, it's, a, it's a group of songs written for travelers that are going to Jerusalem. They are leaving their ordinary day-in, day-out work lives to stop and to travel to Jerusalem to celebrate what God is doing. Faithful Jews in the Old Testament did this three times a year. And these songs were written for them and by them as they travel, as they arrive, and as they go home to remind them that God is at work. That they are not alone in this world. They are not what they earn. They are not what they do. They are who God says they are. So with that said, let's read, read together Psalm 128. This is God's word, good, beautiful, and true. A song of ascent. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to Him. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Yes, this will be the blessing for the man who fears the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion. May you see prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you live to see your children's children. Peace be on Israel. Father, I thank you for your word, that it shows us who you are and what you're up to, and thus it shows us who we are in you. Reveal to us now by your spirit the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, that our hearts might be ravished by his beauty, that we might come away from this time of encountering your word with a sense of awe, that we are so delighted in and so loved and so called to follow after you in this world. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Blessed. It's a word we use a lot, right? Blessed. Especially in the South. If you go to TJ Maxx, Home Goods, or, or uh, Hobby Lobby right now, you're going to find the, the blessed signs to put on your wall, right? Gather in the dining room and blessed and bless this home and all of that. Blessed is a word we use a lot. Someone sneezes, what do you say? Bless you. In the South, when you want to say something bad about somebody without actually saying it, you say bless, bless their heart, right? Or if you uh, post on social media, hashtag blessed. At the end, look at all the good things that are going on in my life, hashtag blessed. But what does blessed mean? What does it mean to be a blessed person? When we think of a blessed person, who do we think of? What do we think of? I'll tell you what I tend to think of. I tend to think of blessed like uh, uh, Timon and Pumbaa in The Lion King. No worries, right? Just eating bugs. I mean, I don't actually think about eating bugs as being wet. You know what I'm saying. No worries. You live the good life. You have no problems. Everyone's healthy. There's enough money to pay the bills. There's vacations. You're admired by people. You have no worries. That's a blessed person. That's my default when I think blessed. Someone coasting through life with no concerns. After all, the word blessed essentially means happy. Even in Scripture, that's essentially what the word means. Blessed, happy is the person. Happy means blessed. The kunotah. Now, it probably wouldn't surprise you to know that the Bible talks about being blessed a 
lot. We've looked at some of them this morning. Did you notice? It started, we started our call to worship. Jesus says, blessed are these people. In our assurance of pardon, we heard that blessed is the person whose transgressions are forgiven. It's a religious verb. But one of the things I love about what God does in Scripture is He takes words that we use, words that we regularly use, and He redefines them. Or, I should say, He rightly defines them. We have to allow our words and our thoughts to be submitted to the gospel of God. We have to entrust our dictionaries to God, in a sense. So blessed, from Scripture, what does blessed mean? I'll give you a short definition here. This is what it means to be blessed. This is the root of it all. To be in right relationship with God, receiving grace from Him. That's where it all is rooted in. That's where it all starts. That's the root of true happiness and joy. The root of the good life. It's not the stuff we have, but it's the God of grace. To be blessed is to be in right relationship with God, receiving grace from Him. Grace. Not what we deserve. Grace. Not us being really good to convince God to give us the stuff we want. Grace. Not us finding the right equation of words to say and claim something and God will give us a jaguar to drive or whatever. Be in right relationship with God, receiving grace from Him. We have to get that mindset, and this is kind of me doing an aside here before I even start the sermon. Uh, in earnest, but we have to get rid of the mindset that thinks that we operate in a relationship with God by doing good stuff to get stuff from Him. I've talked about it before in sense of like equation thinking. We think we have grace from God and Jesus plus this other thing equals blessed. So, you know, faith in Jesus plus me reading my Bible for 20 minutes every morning and praying, that means you're blessed. And if you take that other piece and you're not blessed, always Jesus plus something else detracts from his glory. It's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. We are only blessed, to come back to the point, in the same way that we are righteous before God. We are only blessed in the same way that we are righteous because God has worked on our behalf in Jesus Christ. That's the root of blessing. We don't get what we deserve. We get grace. So even when we're rewarded for doing good, that's grace. It's not a paycheck. Now, I start that way, and I'm belaboring this point because the very first verse in this song, you may have noticed, begins this way. Blessed are what? All who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to Him. And that brings me to my first section. I'm breaking it up into a couple of different ones, and this is called Fear of the Lord. The song says that those who are happy, those who are blessed, are those who fear. But that feels like two very different things, right? Fear and happiness. Those, are, those almost sound like opposites. But when Scripture speaks of fear of the Lord, it does not mean blessed are those who power in terror before God. That's not what the fear of the Lord is. When it speaks of fear, it's reaching for the closest word to describe this mindset of recognizing who God is. Not fear in the sense of terror, but this mixture of reverence and love and awe. I think the best way that I know to think of it, if you've ever been close to a massive waterfall, or you've ever been like at the Grand Canyon, you're staring at something gorgeous, something huge. And what do you see? What do you feel in your heart? You're staring at beauty, and you almost have a sense of 
I, this is not something to be treated lightly. This is something big that I don't even have comprehension or words for. You have reverence. You have awe. You have love. That's the fear of the Lord. Not terror. Not terror. Awe, reverence, love. That's what the fear of the Lord is when it speaks in Scripture. Not fear that God is standing on high and He's waiting for you to have an impure thought. He's going to kick you off the edge of the cliff and you'll split the gates of hell wide open. That's what I grew up thinking for whatever reason. I feel like it was ingrained in my bones. Maybe part of a, the, the sin nature in me to think of God that way. And when it said the fear of the Lord, it was, I need to be very terrified at every moment that I'm going to wrong Him. He's going to Boot me out of his, uh, his love. It's not what it is at all. Now we can only walk in this relationship of fear of awe and reverence and love. Because God has shown himself to us. Which is good news. When we hear fear of the Lord, God doesn't want you to be terrified of him. He reveals himself to us in the gospel and his word and by his spirit so that we can see the, his beauty and glory. Because our hearts were designed to live in awe of His beauty and glory. Our hearts were made to drink from His glory like a fountain. That's why it says, blessed are those who fear the Lord. Because it's blessed are those who have seen God reveal Himself in His grandeur. And their hearts have responded in this reverence, in this awe, in this love. So to be blessed, as I said earlier... To live in right relationship with God, receiving grace from Him. Responding to how He's revealed Himself. And this psalm says that that person is blessed. That happiness belongs to those who are awed at the beauty and majesty of God. For it's when we get a glimpse of who He is in His power and grace, when we listen to His voice and not the lies that we tell ourselves and others tell us, and when we walk in obedience to Him, not to earn anything... We walk in obedience because He's made us. He loves us and He knows what's best for us. That is the person who is walking in the steps of blessedness. Who is walking in the steps of happiness. Now I'm belaboring the point here, but it does not say, blessed is the person who gives himself a guilt trip for sinning and falling short. That's not the life of blessing that God has for us in Christ Jesus. Jesus did not come, die on the cross, and rise from the dead so that we would live lives of guilt thinking that He hates us. It does not say, blessed is the person who gives himself a guilt trip for sinning and falling short. It does not say, blessed are those who feel shame and try to cover it up by being super religious. Jesus did not die on the cross, rise from the dead in victory, and bring us his grace so that we might live lives thinking God is saying, jump this high to get me to notice him. That's not what the fear of the Lord is. It's the person who measures and orders everything in relation to the grandeur of who God is. That's walking into in obedience of who he's shown himself to be. So that's what it means to be blessed. The pathway of happiness is to be in right relationship with God, which he has done in Jesus Christ, and to be someone who is receiving grace from him. So happy are those who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience. That brings me to my second section, the simple life. This song goes on to speak. It speaks about an illustration. It gives us a picture of a man who is blessed. What does the man who is blessed look like? 
Now, it doesn't, it gives us this one example. This isn't the only example. It's not like men are the only ones that are blessed, not at all. It just gives us one image here. The psalm writer is reaching for an example. Who is someone who is this blessed person who fears the Lord and walks in obedience to Him? What does that pathway look like? And we might expect in this passage to give us the example of someone powerful, right? It's the Bible, after all. It's very religious, supposedly. And we would expect it to give us the example of a priest, right? Maybe. Or a king. Someone powerful. But what is the example here of the blessed person? It's a farmer. Very simple farmer. This is a simple life. It speaks about it. He and his family are fed from what they grow. They prosper, but there's no sign that this is an incredibly uh, running over with wealth Lord who has people working for him. This is a simple life. This isn't the kind of life that registers on the news. This isn't the kind of life that gets a reality TV show following him and his family around in modern terms. This is a simple life. This is a slow life. This is not the complex lives that we so often live in this world, torn apart by this thing or that, the competing demands against our time, the claims of our allegiance. This isn't the much celebrated hustle culture of my generation that gets as many side jobs as you can to get as many streams of income coming in to get a big enough bank account. That's not what this is. The picture of the blessed person here is not a priest, it's not a king, it's not a celebrity, it's a simple farmer. A simple farmer. Notice as well what the fruit of his labor is, what this true prosperity is that it speaks about. It's not stuff. It's the thriving of his family. This example of this blessed man, the fruit of the blessing is not things. The fruit of the blessing is people. This is the fruit of walking in obedience to God, the pursuing of thriving for others and flourishing for others in ourselves. It describes this man's wife as a fruitful vine who's thriving herself. It speaks of his children like olive shoots growing up from the thriving of this simple life. This is the fruit of true blessedness, not things, people. Not things, people. And that's because blessing, being in right relationship with God, receiving grace from Him, it has the power to increase. It's one of the characteristics of blessing that it multiplies. Grace abounds and begets more grace. Now that doesn't mean, you may notice here, it doesn't mean that this man is working really hard for thriving for his wife and his kids. Forget about him. There's no hint in this picture that this is a man who takes the world and the weight of the world on his own shoulders. And throws himself away for the sake of his family. No, what we have here is a picture of a community, a family of thriving. This is a family who together are thriving on the grace of God. Not on the unending hard work of the husband and father. And as a side note, not on the unending hard work of the wife and mother either. This is a family that are thriving together like a rich vineyard on the grace of God. His family is thriving on God's grace. It's centered on who God is and springing from the root of that, the fruit of God. 
And I'll say this, God's grace is not a limited thing. God's grace is Him. Again, God's grace given to us is not primarily a thing. It's not like we have three grace, and if we go to church, we get four, and we collect grace like, a, like, like money in a bank account. The grace of God is His personal disposition for us, toward us. In the same way that the, the, the definition of what blessing is, is not things, it's people here. The grace of God is not a thing that He gives us. The grace of God is His love for us. The grace of God is Himself. And I say that because I think we're threatened when we think of blessing, or maybe even grace, that it's a thing with limited quantity. Someone else is thriving in their life, and we may have a sense of jealousy in our hearts, as if their thriving came at expenses of mine. Grace of God is not an unlimited thing because it is Him Himself. God is without limitations. He is eternal in His joy. And the good news of that is that in Christ Jesus we are invited into His joy. We're invited to drink on the beauty and grandeur of who God is like a fountain and be nourished in our hearts. So, to be blessed is to be in right relationship with God, receiving grace from Him. And the fruit of this blessing, more often than not, is a simple life. Committed to thriving for oneself and others, both here and now and in the future. Which brings me to my last section, blessing in the future. The person who wrote this song gave us this example of a man who's blessed, whose family is thriving in this picture of a family that is thriving like, uh, like vines in the vineyard of God's blessing, right? But he knows that he's painted an ideal. It's almost like a Norman Rockwell painting. It's a moment in time. But it's just a moment in time. The songwriter knows that these moments in time don't last. Yes, we thrive in a simple life more often than a complex one. But sometimes in our lives, life is just complex and we have no say in it. It's not that we're burning the candle at two ends. It's that we get laid off. Or we have health trouble. Or we have an unexpected move, whatever it may be. So this song, I'm glad to say, doesn't just leave us with this ideal picture which might feel very distant from our own experience at any given time. It doesn't just give us this ideal picture. It ends with a blessing pronounced from God. And I think that tells us this, that God does not leave us in the times when our lives don't look like thriving. When our lives don't look like the ideal. He doesn't leave us in the midst of that. He continues to assure us of His love and grace and His blessing on us. And that's why it turns the way it does in verses 5 and 6. May the Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you live to see your children's children. Peace on Israel. It's a future looking. Now blessings like this are a lot like the benediction I pronounce every week at the end of our service. And these blessings aren't just religious ways of saying, I hope things go well. That's not what blessings are from God, these benedictions. They're not just good luck, with, you know, a little bit of religious tinge to it. They aren't just wishes, they are assurances. So in a minute, I'm going to pronounce the blessing on us at the end of the service. 
And when I say the Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord make His face shine on you, be gracious to you, the Lord turn His face toward you and give you peace, it's not me finding a really religious way of saying, I hope you have a good week. See you next time. It's me pronouncing an assurance to us of God's intention. It's God having the last word in this worship service. It's Him sending us out of these doors with the promise of His presence on us. That His intentions for us are peace. And then that's what He's leading us to. No matter how our roads wind as we leave, no matter where our lives go, what God is bringing us to is His peace. The benediction is this tent pole in our lives pronounced upon us. Not a wish, but an assurance. So this blessing here at the end of this psalm, it assures us of a number of things. The person who's in right relationship with God receiving grace from him today, what will he receive tomorrow? Grace. God's grace is always fitted to us in our needs. But it doesn't mean it runs out. As I said, it's not a thing. It's not a bank account that we keep making withdrawals from, and one day it's going to be at zero. God's grace is unending because it is Him, and He abounds in life. And so He gives us grace, and tomorrow there's more grace. And the next day there's more grace. It abounds. It's unending. In other words, the God who holds you today will hold you tomorrow. It says he will bless us from Zion. We talked about it before. Zion is another name for Jerusalem. It's a name that particularly points to the reality of what God is doing in Jerusalem. That Jerusalem isn't just another city with a bunch of buildings that happens to have a temple. That Jerusalem is the place that God symbolically places his temple and he says, You live in houses. I'm living in houses too. I'm living in your midst. All the while pointing to God fulfilling his promise to dwell with his people, not just in a building. But as he comes and he puts on flesh to dwell with us in Christ Jesus, he will bless us from Zion. Now, if you were uh, one of the faithful Jews who had gone to a festival and you were singing this song at the time uh, of the Old Testament, before the time of Jesus, this would have been an assurance to you. God will bless you from Zion. They were going to leave to go home. They come for a festival, but they stay for a week and they're going back to their jobs. They're going back into the, the maybe monotony. They're leaving the big flash and spectacle of this festival where they know that God's blessing of them and God's grace to them is not limited to the place of Jerusalem. The Lord will lead them into thriving and to what he has for them even as they go back to their very ordinary lives. The God's intentions for them are as sure when they're at home in their kitchen or living room as when they are in the grandeur of the temple. The blessing of prosperity on Jerusalem here that it, it announces. It's not just a way of saying, I hope this city continues to grow. It centers on the significance of what God was doing. The temple always pointed forward to what God was up to. The reality of God coming to us and the eternal Son of God taking on to himself a human a person to become one of us, to remove every obstacle that stands in the way between us and receiving what God has for us, to pay for our sins, to endure the wrath of God so that we might not experience judgment, 
to defeat the powers of sin and Satan, to defeat the power of death and his resurrection. Jesus, for us, is the guarantee, the guarantee that all that God has for us will come to us because he will bring it to us. He has made a pathway for thriving, and not just thriving in the short term, not just a picture in a moment in time, but eternal thriving that is ours forevermore. Forevermore. And then that's why Jesus could stand up, and on the Sermon on the Mount, which we read in the call to worship, he could pronounce blessing. He could pronounce blessing on groups of people that are, in our terms, the way we think of in this world, the opposite of those who are blessed. The opposite of those who are living the good life. Notice what Jesus says, blessed are who? The poor in spirit. Blessed are who? Those who mourn. I've mourned. I've mourned deeply in my life. It is not fun. It is not happiness. But the promise is that those who mourn will find comfort. Because he will bring them. This is blessed are those who are meek, the humble. I don't, you know, the humble, the meek don't climb corporate ladders. The humble, the meek, they don't make tons of money. But Jesus says, blessed are not just those who live this idealistic picture of what the good life might look like. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for he will give them the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, because they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for justice to be done in this world, because they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, the foolish people who are merciful to others in this world. Blessed are those, because they will receive mercy. Blessed are those who are pure in heart, who desire one thing, who aren't torn, torn apart. In this world, because they will see God. Blessed are those who make peace. Again, a foolish thing in our world. But those who pursue making peace, because they will be called the children of God. He pronounced blessings on these not ideal situations, so that we will be sure that even when our lives do not look like the picture of the ideal here, the simple farmer who has his thriving family, when our experience doesn't match up to that, it doesn't mean God has left us. It does not. Jesus tells us that blessed, the path of happiness is ahead for these people because this is the good life. This is true blessing because it's founded on the God who seeks us out, the God who is the enduring fountain of life that is ours to drink from time and time again, who will hold us, who will carry us, who will nourish us, who will never let us go, who will, in the words of the Jesus Storybook Bible that I read to Declan every night, has for us a never stopping, never giving up, Unbreaking, always, and forever love. Friends, this blessing is ours. It's not something you need to go out and get and earn. It's already yours in Christ. There's no more blessings for you to gain. All that God has for you will be brought to you because God will bring it to you in Christ Jesus. This is our blessing. This is the foundation for everything else for us. This is the good life. Let's live it together. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that in Christ we are blessed. And that these words of pronouncing blessing are ours. 
And we can be assured, not just hopeful wishes, we can be assured of your blessing for us, that you never leave us, that you never let us go, that the suffering and the grief that we may experience in this world, the times when things do not work the way they are supposed to are not the final word, and that if we are in any time in our life and it's not okay, it means it's not the end. Because you are at work to make all things new, as you promise in Scripture, all things new, that all that is uh, a lie will become untrue, all that is wrong will be made right. So help us to place our trust in you. Lead us and guide us as we uh, live this life in right relationship to you, receiving grace from you. Help us, God, to pursue simplicity in life. Not to be pulled apart, not to think we, uh, we are who, what we earn or what we have. Let us see the true blessing is you. And you are ours and we are yours. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.